It's a soggy Tuesday for a lot of you across the South, but sun's on the way. Welcome in. It is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving edition of y'all John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Glad to have you back aboard as you might, you know, you might be rushing off to the grocery store today to get loaded up with all your Thanksgiving goodies. And if you're doing that, we appreciate you taking a little time to listen to the y'all show powered by y'all.com. We are a program that for the next three hours will deliver you all of the news and gossip across the Southeast. Also today, we've got some other good stuff to pass along. You know, this is the perfect opportunity for me to tell you what exactly is coming up on today's Y'all Show. Because in addition to news about weather in this opening hour of the Y'all Show, we've got the funeral arrangements now in for Rosalind Carter, the former First Lady of the United States. She died at the age of 96 in Plains, Georgia on Sunday. And we got details about her arrangements. We'll share that with you in our headlines across the Southeast today. Plus... A lucky dog in Alabama finds a very, very well-known family now living in South Florida. I'll tell you about that incredible story. Plus, an NBA player helping out his Arkansas hometown just before Thanksgiving. Those are some of the news headlines that we'll be getting to on this Y'all Show Tuesday edition. Later this hour, we've got our Southern Political Report, and in that report today we've got some audio from ron DeSantis. he was on jake tapper's state of the union and he has something to say about age both for joe biden and his republican candidate that he's going up against right now donald trump so we've got some DeSantis information to pass along and we've got some info on joe biden and some of the not so great numbers coming in on the democratic side and what are the democrats going to do with their leading person for 2024. All that is part of our Southern Political Report. We'll get to that a little bit later this hour. Hour number two today, not only do we have more news headlines coming, but we got our Southern Book Report in hour number two. And I'm going to introduce you to a Chomp Chomp alum. And this guy's got a book right now in the top five of the fiction category on the New York Times bestsellers list. We'll let you know more about Michael Connolly in his new book, Resurrection Walk. That's a new offering that, again, is one of the best reads in America right now. Michael Connolly has got a series of books. We'll tell you more about him, and we'll hear from Michael Connolly. He actually went down to Australia recently, and we got a great little, uh, I guess it would be called a Q&A that he did down under, and you'll get to hear, you'll get to hear more about this great fiction writer from Florida, Michael Connolly, later in our Southern Book Report. Plus, we've also got entertainment news coming in our second hour today. Snoop Dogg is going smokeless. What is that all about? I'll give you what's up with Snoop Dogg. Also, country music singer and actress Jana Kramer has a new delivery. We'll tell you about her new baby. All that's coming up. Plus, we've got other country music news. Hey, Clint Black has announced his 2024 touring schedule. I had a chance to see Clint a couple of years ago and had a great time listening to all the hits that he had in country music. And maybe, just maybe, Clint Black's got a few more hits up his sleeve, and you can have a chance to listen to his new music, as well as all of his great country music hits of the 1990s and more. Clint Black tour information coming up in our second hour today. Also, in our third hour today of the Y'all Show, we've got a Takapola storyteller appearance as Jerry Short's coming by. And Jerry and I are going to go ahead and talk about something that we need to talk about here 
as the holidays have arrived. Soaring cost. My goodness, are things out of control? Jerry and I will talk about all that as part of our Takapola Storyteller Report. That's coming up in our final hour. Also, we will leave you today with our Southern Food for Thought. And we found an article posted at foodnetwork.com, 83 Thanksgiving appetizers. And that's going to be an appetizingly great feature that we'll have in our final hour of this Tuesday Y'all Show. So that's where we have things lined up for you. And hopefully you will be able to tune in the entire show today. Thank you for all of you listening on great radio stations. Thank you for all of you listening in podcast form as the Y'all Show is available on Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and we're posted at y'all.com. Com. A couple of quick headlines before we take a break and continue on with our headlines across the southeast. So we do have weather back in front and front of us today, front and center, as we've got Thanksgiving travel issues going on. Now, this is not necessarily a southern thing, but earlier today, watching the news, I heard something about white stuff affecting Thanksgiving travel. I don't think that's uh, going to be uh, a too big of a problem here in Dixie. But let me go ahead, go to weather.com and tell you what they're saying about Thanksgiving travel, the forecast, because even if you're in the South, you might be traveling to other portions of the country this week. So here is the report from weather.com. A storm system could slow down your plans for Thanksgiving if you're one of the 55 million people traveling for Thanksgiving this week. A low-pressure system has tracked through the West this past weekend and continues to go on its cross-country trek for the first half of this week. That's what a lot of people are experiencing in the last 24 hours with lots of rainfall. We even have some power outages we'll tell you about momentarily. So it's going to cause rain in most cases, some wind issues, and even snowfall. So according to the pre-Thanksgiving forecast from weather.com, the storm system continues to move across to the east today and Wednesday Today, severe thunderstorms possible in certain portions of the southeast. That's mostly an Alabama and Georgia thing, but that's happening today. You also have lots of rainfall in Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, and more. That's going on today. This rainfall, certainly in the Mid-South, as well as pushing into the Mid-Atlantic states today. Now, if you're traveling to the Midwest, you can see rain there this week, and even Snowfall, gusty winds also in the Midwest section of the country. Strong winds and snow possible in the plains today. And wet weather and even some snow in New England expected heading into Thanksgiving Day. So that's a a quick look at some of your weather forecast. I mean, we don't have chilly temperatures in a big way in the south heading into Thanksgiving, but we've got a a lot of rainfall for sure and some storms taking place. The forecast I'm looking at for Thanksgiving Day, FYI, it's going to be a beautiful Thanksgiving Day in the southeast, it appears, with little to no rainfall expected on Thursday and temperatures across the southeast, mostly around 60 degrees. Dallas forecast for 64. Atlanta forecast for cloudy skies, 59 degrees on Thursday. Baltimore, Maryland, sunny and 57, so it should be a beautiful Thanksgiving, but the real question is, what do we have heading into Turkey Day as you travel the rest of this day and possibly on Wednesday? Be safe, as that article just said, 55 million people 
traveling between now and, and Thanksgiving Day or during this whole Thanksgiving weekend. And as a result of some of these storms that have come through in the last 24 hours, we can tell you that, for example, in the state of Mississippi, severe storms there have caused thousands of power outages. According to Energy Mississippi, 3,000 outages reported Monday evening. Kapaya County had over 2,700 of those 3,000 power outages. Kapaya is south of Jackson, Mississippi. Also outages in Warren County and even in Madison County to the north of Jackson, Mississippi. But uh, some rough weather Monday in the state of Mississippi, and that storm front's already moved out of central Mississippi, but heading toward the Atlantic seaboard on this Tuesday. So our thoughts there for Mississippi, for those of you who may have had some power outages, we hope you're up and going. And I don't have any other reports of power outages and rest the rest of South, at least in large numbers, but some, some nasty weather heading into Turkey Day. And because of some of the weather forecasts and net weather goings on in Mississippi, let me tell you about another sort of God-related story, weather-related, if you will, story coming out of both North Carolina and Tennessee, wildfires have prompted campgrounds in the mountainous areas of North Carolina and Tennessee to evacuate. These campgrounds started evacuating Sunday as firefighters prepared for high winds and low humidity heading into Tuesday. And some help expected from rain that's going to hit that area. So wildfires in that section of North Carolina and in Tennessee, the National Weather Service office in Morristown, issued a red flag warning today in the East Tennessee mountains as well as in southwest North Carolina as they are expecting winds in the mountains to be between 25 and 50 miles per hour going up to nearly 80 mile per hour gust at some points. That was on Monday and also some of today. So in North Carolina, a youth camp and about a dozen homes were evacuated in the last 24 to 48 hours as there has been a fire there in this Sauratown Mountains in Stokes County, North Carolina. And so evacuations taking place there. But some really gusty winds. Tennessee authorities have ordered an evacuation of a campground on Whitwell Mountain as a wildfire there is going on. And it uh, got out from an, uh, an escaped campfire spread, according to the Marion County Emergency Management Director. So if you're in the mountainous areas, there's going to be some big-time gust, it appears, going forward. So be very, very careful. Maybe some of this rain that's hitting sections of the southeast today will get up into the Smokies and more and cure some of these wildfire issues that are going on. We've got a few more headlines to get to when we take a break here. We'll come back. I've got the funeral arrangements for Rosalind Carter, the former first lady who died Sunday at the age of 96. We'll pass along that information as we continue on with y'all, the show all about the Southeast. We've got news we we still have before this hour wraps up. We're going to give you a quick look at some political news, and we'll even hear from Ron DeSantis. All that is ahead on y'all. On the bed of thinking 
thinking that my heart is sinking Every day the world goes by With you gone All I do is dream about you Living ain't a life without you Honey, can you find it in you To come back home You never miss a real good thing I know what it means You never see the light of day Till it goes away You never want to drink of water Till the well runs dry You never miss a real good thing Till he says goodbye On January 20th, 1977, when Jimmy Carter became president of the United States. That song right there from Crystal Gale, You Never Miss a Real Good Thing, was the number one song in the land. 1977, y'all. That was Crystal's second number one song. And what we had. And honey, you were right to blame me. Maybe even time would change me. But can't you see the good that's in me? Overlook the bad You never miss a real good thing I know what it means You never see the light of day Till it goes away Fantastic song there. We're back here on the Y'all Show where we mix in a little news, a little history, a little entertainment news, and we hope you have a good time hearing about it all right here on the show that shakes the Southland. So, Back to Jimmy Carter talk. On Sunday, his wife of roughly 80 years, Rosalind Carter, she died at the age of 96. And today here on the Y'all Show, we can pass along what's going on with her funeral plans and all the memorial services for Rosalind Carter, the First Lady and Georgia native. Today, prior to lunch, her body right now is at the Carter Center in Atlanta. This afternoon, there will be a tribute service at Glen Memorial Church at Emory University. Invited guests only. Wednesday, the funeral service and interment taking place. The funeral service will be at Marantha Baptist Church in Plains, which is where they worshiped. The service for family and invited friends will be there at the small church in Plains, Georgia. Then at 12.30, the casket will be transferred to a hearse and depart for a private interment at the Carter family residence. So it looks like she's going to be buried there at the Carter family residence in Plains, Georgia. The public is welcome to line the family motorcade route as it proceeds from the church down Bond Street and along Highway 280 in downtown Plains, Georgia, Viewing areas will be designated. Everyone is expected to respect private property and park only in designated areas. Again, the arrangements for former First Lady Rosalind Carter. Condolence books are available to sign at Georgia Southwestern State University, which is where she went to college there in Americus, Georgia. Also, you can sign a condolence book at the Plains Welcome Center, Plains High School, and the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum, which is in Atlanta. There's also an official online condolence book for former First Lady Carter. You can find that at 
cartercenter.org. There will be a link there. Donations in Rosalind Carter's name can be sent to the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers, P.O. Box 647, Americus, Georgia, 31709. Again, the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers at P.O. Box 647, Americus, Georgia, 31709. Also, donations can be sent to the Carter Center Mental Health Program located at 453 John Lewis Freedom Parkway in Atlanta, Georgia, 30307. Donations can also be made online at the Rosalind Carter Tribute.org. Rosalind Carter Tribute.org is the link, again, you can go to to donate online. But today, the memorial's coming in still for this First Lady, her husband, of course, a one-term president back in the late 1970s. But all the work they've done with Habitat for Humanity in the years since he left office and more, she a rock beside her husband all these years. And she died again Sunday at the age of 96. Funeral set in a very small church Wednesday in Plains and then the burial at the home there in Plains, Georgia. Our thoughts with the Carter family. How about this story? Speaking of presidential goings on a lucky dog for sure as it turns out Ivanka Trump the President Trump daughter the famous daughter I guess you could say compared to the other one that you hardly ever see the one that he had with Marla Maples Tiffany Trump is who I'm talking about Ivanka now lives in South Florida and on Instagram She has now posted something that caught our eyes here at the Y'all Show. As she has posted on Instagram a image, she and her family had adopted a big-hearted and goofy German Shepherd lab mix, and they got this dog from the Big Dog Ranch Rescue. And it turns out this so-called big-hearted and goofy German Shepherd lab mix was a stray dog that was found emaciated along an Alabama highway. And now this emaciated Alabama dog is hanging out in South Florida with Ivanka Trump and her kids and more. She writes Ivanka on Instagram, this little warrior puppy was found abandoned and emaciated alongside a highway in Alabama. Simba joins Winter and Chester, another furry friend who recently joined the family. Welcome to the crew, Simba. So Simba is the name of this Bama dog now hanging out in the Miami area. The photo on Instagram shows Ivanka and her children with a whole bunch of pets, including a hamster. And that's pretty neat. But Simba is the latest addition to the to the Trump, or should I say the Kushner family. Big Dog Ranch is the nation's largest no-kill dog shelter, and it opened in Macon County, Alabama back in November of 2022. It also operates a facility in Palm Beach County in Florida. And Ivanka and her husband, Jared, and their children now live in Miami. And I guess that's how they ended up getting this Macon County dog down to Palm Beach and to that area, thanks to the Big Dog Ranch shelter. So kudos to the Kushners, and that's a great addition to the family right there for sure. They got, uh, I'm looking at the family photo, looks like Jared and Ivanka have two boys and the oldest child is a daughter. Yeah. And now they got the hamster and they got the two dogs too. So it's a pretty full family there 
And they're done with politics from what I understand. They, they learned their lesson in the Trump White House. <laughs> and, and Jared didn't do a whole lot, but he, he gets credit for the uh, Abraham Accords. And he did a good job on that. And, and he brought peace to the Middle East at the time that President Trump was in office. Now, all that's been torn up and is completely irrelevant now, thanks to Hamas and what's going on in Palestine today. But, uh, but they're not going to be going back to the White House if Trump is back in office at some point. I, I think they are, are glad to be so-called retired and hanging out in South Florida, and, and I, can't, uh, I can't blame them for that. Elsewhere in our news headlines across the Southeast today, Speaking of Florida, I don't know if the Kushners slash Trumps have a vanity license plate on their car, but we have a story out about the most popular Florida specialty license plates. And I know that every state in the South has specialty license plates. I need to probably do this for every Southern state. But right now, the story I've got up is specifically for, for Florida, which is one of our biggest states in the South. I guess it is probably the biggest state in the South population wise, you know, now that I think about it, which one is bigger, Texas or Florida? I guess I'll go with Florida, but it could, it could be Texas. I know in size, Texas wins. Okay. That one's pretty easy. But one reason I'm bringing up this specialty license plate story is because the winner, a little surprising here, and it was a winner by far. So every state has you have the opportunity to go get your little specialty license plate. It might be for your favorite NASCAR driver. It could be for your favorite college team. There's a lot of states now that have high school teams in their respective state that you can buy a license plate for. They're they're for breast cancer. You got them for the Sons of Confederate Veterans, except for Texas, which will not allow those, which is absolutely ridiculous. Went before the Supreme Court even. Um, got them for all kinds of issues and causes. Uh, art is one that's often celebrated on license plates. Uh, blues music is one I know I've seen in, in Mississippi. I know Tennessee's got a, a really cool Dolly Parton specialty license plate. I'm trying to think of some other ones that I've seen across the South. Um, let's see. I like Kentucky's got one for the Louisville Cardinals. It's got like a black plate that kind of really shows up good. Go U of L. I mean, they got a good football team this year. <laughs> uh, let's see. Virginia's got an awesome "Don't Tread on Me" license plate, and and uh, Tennessee's got one too. But t- Virginia was the first one that I saw. So back to Florida. More than two point one million Florida drivers use specialty license plates to support their favorite causes. And now we've got data coming in from the last decade that shows exactly which of these specialty license plates are bought more than others. And believe it or not, get your surfboard up and surfs up to you. The most popular specialty license plate in the Sunshine State is the so-called Endless Summer Plate. And that license plate in the state of Florida, according to the Florida, what do they call that agency? The Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles, the good old FLHSMV, That Endless Summer license plate, which features a surfboard on it, by the way, has sold over 132,000 specialty license plates in the Sunshine State. So if surfboards are number one, 
what's number two in Florida. The number two specialty license plate is the Helping Sea Turtles Survive license plate. So you got surfboards and turtles at one and two. Where are those Seminoles? Where are those Gators? Where are those other sports teams that often you see traveling the highways of respective southern states? Well, the Gators come in at number three as 92,526 Floridians are supporting the Chomp Chomp Gators who, man, did they blow a game against Missouri this past weekend. Florida may not even, I don't know if they've got six wins yet or not. They may not be going to a bowl this year in year two of Billy Napier. The Gators, number three in the specialty license plate sales. How about this? The Miami Heat of the NBA are the fourth most sold specialty license plate in the Sunshine State. This one is a pretty cool plate based on the garnet and gold color scheme of the Florida State Seminoles as FSU's specialty license plate has sold just shy of 70,000 plates in Florida. The Buccaneers of the NFL come in at number six on the specialty license plate sales. Number seven is Protect Wild Dolphins. Number eight, Save the Manatee. That's a cool plate I've seen traveling the highways of Florida. Number nine is the Marine Corps plate for the Sunshine State. And number 10, Vets of the U.S. Armed Forces is the 10th most sold specialty license plate in Florida. So I did not tell you about the Jacksonville Jaguars. They didn't make the list. None of the baseball teams like the Rays or the Marlins have made the list. And I don't know if Florida allows outside college teams to have license plates. I guess they don't now that I think about it. And so there's no Georgia Bulldog license plate, for example, that's showing up here. I bet it would sell quite well in North Florida. But that's the breakdown. The big story here is that surfboards and the endless summer plate comes in at number one for Florida's specialty license plate sales over the last couple of years. Congratulations to all you who have that special license plate. Often, no matter what state you're in, those plates are sold because they help raise money. A portion of the sale goes to whatever you're buying the plate for. And man, uh, some states really make a lot of money off those things. Some of them, I mean, one time when I lived in Georgia, it cost me $600 plus to get a license plate. And that was before Joe Biden was in office. I bet you a license plate in Georgia, at least in the county I was in, north of $1,000 a year now. And some states have a pretty good deal, if you really think about it, on the cost of getting a license plate, even a specialty license plate. But I like it. It, it just, specialty license plates, if you're, a person, if you're a person like me that travels a lot, and I do travel a lot, uh, it sure makes the drive a little bit more entertaining when you have people pass you with specialty license plates. It gives you something to think about. Of course, you've got to keep your eyes on the road, but it does break up the monotony of driving like I do sometimes 12, 15 hours a day on the roads of Dixie. But boy, do we have a good part of the world to travel in. <laughs> and how about those surfboards in Florida? When we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got a Southern political report. We're going to hear from Ron DeSantis speaking of the Sunshine State. I wonder what license plate he's got on his car. Probably the Gov, maybe the Prez. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we'll hear from him and more.
Vanderbilt University alum. Studied finance there at VU. George Dukas. Some good 90s country here on the Y'all Show on a Tuesday, y'all. All right, let's talk a little politics, if you don't mind. Joe Biden celebrated his 81st birthday on Monday. Happy birthday, JRB. CNN's got an article up at CNN.com about how this may be Biden's best hope of reversing his slide with black and brown voters. Yes, just the other day there was some polling that came out that showed that Donald Trump actually led black male voters in, a, in one of the polls out there. And now Biden's weaknesses in polling among non-white voters is helping the cause that Republicans can win back the White House in 2024. And so this article dives into some of the thoughts on this thing. Arguments are fueling the, according to the article, increasingly common assertions that Republicans are building a, quote, multiracial populist coalition. That's what GOP pollster Patrick Ruffini argues in his new book, Party of the People. The right word shift of white and non-white voters without a college degree toward the GOP in the Trump years, quote, might seem like two discrete, unrelated events. The two groups share a common working class DNA and their political shifts stem from the same root. That's what's in this new book out called Party of the People. But polling definitely shows that, you know, it's kind of odd. Donald Trump, who's supposed to be this, according to some, racist, this guy that stems and stokes the fires of racism and sexism and anti, what, anti-gay what stuff, that he actually has better polling numbers and the results are there. I mean, there have been more non-white voters for Trump than we've seen in boring white guy guys like uh, Romney and McCain, go figure that. The Karl Roves of the world who have constantly preached for years, we got to build a big tent party. We got to do all this. Well, guess what? Donald Trump's kind of done that in a lot of ways. Now, there's still a big divide when it comes to black women. But for black men, polling shows that they're a little bit more okay with Republicans. They're a little bit, certainly more okay with the, the Donald Trumps of the world. And this article goes into this a whole lot more. Check it out at CNN.com. Now, let's get back to telling you about more Democratic information. Polling shows that there's a big difference in age in terms of what the Democratic Party feels on Israel. The Hamas battle going on right now has divided Democratic voters as it looks like, according to a Quinnipiac poll on the topic, Biden's approval rating for his handling of the Israel-Hamas war among Democrats and on Democratic-leaning voters is 56%. 56% is what it is. Now, you compare that to a 76 approval rating among Democratic voters for his overall job performance. But there's a big, big difference. And it comes in mainly because 
a significant minority of Democrats and Democratic-leaning voters disapprove of his handling of the war. That's about 36%. And those voters tend to be young, according to some of the outlets reporting on this stuff. But the, the younger Democrats don't want to see war. They don't want to see what Israel's doing to fight back against Hamas. And the Democratic voters and their divide, the civil war that appears to be going on within that party and its different age sets explains why there's such chaos. I mean, we just saw last week outside the Democratic National Headquarters in Washington, D.C., a riot! A riot took place, and one person got arrested. With all the damage, and, and I think police officers were injured, one person arrested. And you compare that to now more than a 1,000 January 6 people, not just arrested, but many of them locked up and the key thrown away. Amazing, amazing stuff. By the way, kudos to see that the new House Speaker, Mike Johnson, releasing all that extra video of January 6. And it's startling to see the way that some of the so-called Capitol Hill police officers acted that day. They, they, they didn't do too much at all to try to stop these people. And you didn't see that whenever Liz Cheney was doing her thing a year and a half ago. Speaking of House Speaker Mike Johnson, he flew down to South Florida Monday as he met with President Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. The meeting at the former president's resort happens about a week after the new speaker publicly endorsed Trump's 2024 bid for the White House, and he is the highest-ranking Republican to put his support behind Donald Trump to date. The Louisiana Republican has long been a Trump ally, and he actually served on the former president's impeachment team trying to defend the president. And so now he went and met with Trump at Mar-a-Lago Monday. I don't think he had to go kiss the ring because he, he's in good graces with Donald Trump, the front runner of the Republican Party. But Johnson taking a moment here before Thanksgiving to go bring holiday cheer perhaps to President Donald Trump. Well, while in Florida, he didn't stop by to see Ron DeSantis. He is the other guy running for president that is a Florida resident. And DeSantis, maybe not taking time out to see Mike Johnson, but he did take time out over the weekend to visit with CNN's Jake Tapper as he was on his program, State of the Union, on CNN. I'm giving CNN a lot of love here today. Uh, But let's go in and hear a little bit of that interview as he talks about Israel, Hamas, and more. And let's just go ahead and pick up here some of the discussion about Ron DeSantis on whether he supports a two-state solution over in the Middle East. Uh, when Israel's made uh, offers in the past, that was the, the sticking point. And so you don't want a two-state that ends up just being a stepping stone to the destruction of Israel. Um, I don't think that that should be contingent on any aid that they pursue that. And I would also note, Jake, for many, many decades, people in D.C. said you're never going to be able to have relations in the Middle East between Israel and any other country unless you have that. 
and yet we saw under the Trump administration the Abraham Accords uh, where they were able to make peace uh, with many countries in the Middle East and probably would have ended up being able to do it with Saudi Arabia had we not had the October 7th attack. Now, going forward, uh, I think Israel needs to do what it's, gonna, what, what it's best to defend themselves. I would note Gaza was not under Israeli occupation. They pulled out in 2006. They uprooted thousands of their own Israeli citizens and forced them to leave the Gaza Strip. And the idea was give the Arabs down there an opportunity to make something of it. And unfortunately, they turned to Hamas. And Hamas used money to build a big terrorist infrastructure and ultimately wage attacks for many years and then the devastating October 7th attack. Israel cannot allow history to repeat itself. Right, but what comes next? I mean, uh, I think that you would agree probably that Israel occupying Gaza is not going to result in peace in the region. Do you think that there should be a Palestinian state uh, where Gaza is? Oh, I mean, I think that that would end up uh, becoming a hotbed of terrorism. I think we need to let Israel win this war. Uh, we should support them publicly and privately to actually finish the job. Uh, because if you just do some glancing blows, Hamas reconstitute itself, we're going to end up in this same cycle going forward. And Israel's in a situation where they suffered the biggest attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Uh, you have an organization in Hamas that wants to wipe Israel totally off the map. This is not just some minor dispute. This is an existential threat uh, to the survival of the world's only Jewish state. So I think they have to do whatever they can to protect their people uh, and to make sure that this never happens again. All right, that is the Naval JAG officer turned Florida governor Ron DeSantis being interviewed over the weekend on State of the Union with Jake Tapper on CNN. Pretty impressive information. I thought that Governor DeSantis was passing along. He's He knows his stuff, it appears, and would make a fine president. He absolutely would if given the opportunity. So not going not gonna to bash him on anything to do with international politics or basically the the roles that a chief executive of a country like the most powerful country in the world would have unfortunately for DeSantis he still trails Trump who he even cited there in that interview with Tapper the Abraham Accords that was a Trump policy and that was a Trump achievement during his time in the first term in office if given another term uh, he might even do better than that one. You know, it's still amazing that he got nominated, I think, for a Nobel Peace Prize for the Abraham Accords, and he did not get it. And he got nominated for another Nobel Peace Prize, and he didn't get that. Meanwhile, Obama wins president, and he gets a Nobel Peace Prize. Just, just pointing that out. Speaking of President Trump, he has the opportunity to win the Palmetto Bowl. That's right. President Donald Trump this weekend, if you're wondering what his Thanksgiving weekend plans are, he's probably going to be with his family on Thanksgiving Day. But come Saturday, oh, he's going to don the garnet and black. He might even put on a little orange and maybe a little purple as President Trump's going to be in Columbia, South Carolina. And he's going to be attending the South Carolina Clemson football game, which is a big, big game. Gamecocks need to win that game to get bowl eligible. Clemson has not had the best of seasons, but they have dominated this series. And so it looks like President Trump's going to be the guest of Governor Henry McMaster, as McMaster said that uh, in a press availability on Monday long ago, his wife Peggy and I 
issued him a standing invitation to come anytime he wants to. If he comes, we'll be with him. And, yes, President Trump is going to be at this football game Saturday in Columbia, South Carolina. He'll be hanging out at the cockabooses and uh, hoping to get South Carolinians on board the Trump train instead of on the Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis train. That wraps up our Southern Political Report for Hour 1. More of the Y'all Show coming right up. Choo-choo! continuing on with our southern conversation we're the y'all show proudly promoting the southern accent and we accentuate all things southern on this program powered by y'all.com john rawl here good to have you back on board as we've got an hour full of some cool stuff coming your way you know you know how cool is it you ask we got snoop dog news to tell you about here in this hour of the y'all show we sure do we also have some baby news. Not not me. I'm not expecting. But I'll tell you who just delivered a baby. And it's pretty cool. We'll tell you about that. Plus some Clint Black Turing information to pass along. All that's coming up. Plus we got books to talk about. We got the best-selling books out there. And a Floridian and a Gator alum is doing quite well with his latest book. And we've got some audio coming in from this very talented writer who's been cranking out books for a while. Michael Connolly. His new book is called Resurrection Walk, and we're going to walk down to Australia where he recently did an interview and let you hear more about this Floridian and the great work that he's done on the New York Times bestsellers list. That's coming up, Southern Book Report. So get your pen and paper out and get ready for that as we'll be filing that here a little bit later here in the Y'all Show. We've got news headlines that we'll be jumping into in a sec, but let me tell you how you can reach the Y'all Show. We've got a couple of ways, easy ways for you to reach out to us. We have an email address, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L.com, mail at y'all.com. Then we have a text line open to you, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. Those are the easiest ways for you to connect to us here on the All Show, and we, we would like to... We would like to hear from you. So if you've been waiting on that official invitation to participate, I don't have your address. I can't mail it to you. So I'm just telling you here on the show with my big mouth, come on, let's hear from you. All right. Let's start off today's headlines with weather. I just saw the weather forecast. I just saw the weather radar. And the rain has pushed away from some of the southern states. And today Rain going to be heavy in Alabama, Georgia, and in at least two-thirds of Tennessee as the front moves on toward the Atlantic coast. And that's going to affect some of your travel plans. So we're going to have some travel difficulties as you get ready to head to your destination for the 
holiday weekend. You know, there's 55 million people that travel for Thanksgiving each year. Did you realize that? (laughs) And a storm system could slow down your Thanksgiving travel plan. So let me give you a quick heads up from weather.com of what they're saying about weather for the next 48 hours or so. As you've got a storm system moving across the east today into Wednesday, I told you rain now, literally it looks like right on the Mississippi-Alabama border. It rains to the east, it's clear to the west. So that's good news for Louisiana and Texas and Oklahoma and all that. But you're going to have thunderstorms popping up in Alabama, Georgia, sections of even East Tennessee today. That's happening today. Heavy rain also in portions of the south as well as into the mid-Atlantic states on this Tuesday. If you're traveling to the Midwest, those areas of the country are going to have widespread rain, but even a few snowflakes and gusty winds in Midwestern states in the next 24 to 48 hours. And there's going to be in the plains strong winds if you're traveling from the south to the plains here for Thanksgiving 2023. Best idea, of course, no matter where you're going, is to check out the local weather forecast. But many, many delays likely from all this, really from a flying standpoint, the very high winds. I mean, there's a story that we told you in hour one, how you've got wildfires going on in the mountains of East Tennessee and Western North Carolina, and that's shut down some campgrounds in those two states. And they have ex- they, they are expecting, if they haven't already reached this, wind gust of 80 mile per hour. Gust Monday night's expected, I, I don't have the final tally in, but they were at least predicting that in the Smoky Mountain area, 80 mile per hour wind gust. And that's caused problems with wildfires or the threat of wildfires shutting down some camps there. Now, as those storms pushed across Mississippi on Monday, it caused severe storms, and Entergy Mississippi reported over 3,000 power outages on Monday evening. Kapaya County, which is around Brookhaven, Mississippi, that got uh, 2,700 of the 3,000 outages in that one county alone between Jackson and Macomb, Mississippi, is where that's located. There were other outages reported in Warren, which is Vicksburg, as well as in Madison County, Ridgeland, and Madison, Mississippi, the big towns in that county. But some some rough weather for at least some of our Southerners over the last little while, you could say. We also want to let you know that the funeral arrangements have been set for former First Lady Rosalind Carter on this Tuesday. There will be a tribute service at... Glenn Memorial Church at Emory University in Atlanta, invited guests only. The big story on this is the funeral service and interment set for Wednesday, as there will be a service at the Baptist Church there in Plains, Georgia, that the Carters attended. Maranthra, I believe is how that's pronounced. I I don't remember seeing that pronunciation in the Bible when I was looking at it. The funeral procession arrives there right around 11 o'clock on Wednesday morning, and then the service will take place for family and invited friends at the church there in Plains. Then her casket will be transferred to a hearse and 
will go to a private internment at the Carter Family Residence in Plains, Georgia. If you want to see the funeral procession, the public is welcome to line the family motorcade route as it proceeds from Marantha Baptist Church on to the Carter Family Residence. And to go there, you it will go down Bond Street in Plains, then down Highway 280 in Plains, Georgia. Viewing areas will be designated. Everyone is res- expected to respect private property and park only in designated areas. Condolence books, you can go sign them at the Plains Welcome Center, Plains High School, at Rosalind Carter's alma mater, Georgia Southwestern State University, as well as at the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library and Museum in Atlanta. Online condolence books can be signed at cartercenter.org, and also donations can be made online at rosalindcartertribute.org. But the family now preparing for the funeral and internment of Rosalind Carter on Wednesday. would be real interesting to see if President Carter himself is going to be able to make it out there. Here, here's a guy who's been in hospice care for months now at 99 years young, and he did make it out to a parade there in Plains about a month ago, and I'm just curious to know if he can make it to his own wife's funeral. Sad, sad story, but a very happy life. I mean, they've been together 80 years. And what a what a tribute for a pretty lackluster president of the 1970s. He's had a pretty mm, blockbuster, from lackluster to blockbuster, blockbuster out-of-office time. I mean, my, my biggest complaint with Jimmy Carter was in 2008. He went on The Tonight Show and proudly declared that he was going to support Barack Obama. That's when he could have easily got behind a Hillary Clinton for president in 2008 and and may have helped push her a little closer to getting the presidency in 2008. But instead he was all in for Obama. And guess what? That proved to be the uh, winning ticket in 2008 for his fellow Democrat and Mr. Obama of Illinois slash Hawaii slash wherever he's from. (laughs) Also in our stories today across the Southeast, how about this story coming to us from Lepanto, Arkansas? Are you familiar with that town? It also just, you know, it just happens to be a small Arkansas town that's near and dear to NBA player Malik Monk as at the First Missionary Baptist Church there in Lepanto, Arkansas, Mr. Monk did one heck of a thing just in time for Thanksgiving. He's a shooting guard for the Sacramento Kings and a Lepanto, Arkansas native. And Malik Monk donated 300 turkeys for a very special event there in his hometown in Arkansas. It's the seventh year in a row that Monk has given back to his hometown during the holiday season. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it back to his hometown. But Jackie Monk, his mother was one of the several family members there who greeted people as they arrived at this giving away turkey event. She said everyone understands his busy schedule and that basketball comes first for him. But she said, Jackie, about her boy, the community raised me. You know, that's what he says. Jackie said she is unbelievably proud of Malik and hopes he continues his charitable actions in the future. 
Pastor Larry Bell said he appreciates the Monk family and said he enjoys seeing the smiles at the event each year. As the pastor went on to say, we're serving the public. It seems that it warms our hearts to know we can give back. And Malik Monk donating 300 turkeys to his Arkansas hometown just in time for Christmas 2020, just in time for Thanksgiving. You know, I wonder if he does something for Christmas too. Would not surprise me. And what a what a cool story. A beautiful story to wrap up our news headlines here on this Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Let me tell you a little bit more about Malik. He was actually born in Jonesboro in northeast Arkansas and attended East Poinsett County High School in this small county in northeast Arkansas is where this is. Lepanto has a population of just around 1,800, and it's named for the Greek seaport of Lepanto. And it's also the same town that was the filming for John Grisham's book, A Painted House. It was a TV movie of a painted house filmed in this small Poinsett County, Arkansas town that Malik Monk was raised in. Malik played his college ball for the Kentucky Wildcats back in 2016 and 2017 and was a first-round pick by the Charlotte Hornets. And he played for the Hornets for a couple years before moving on to the Lakers and now with the Kings. He's had a very good career thus far in the association. Malik Ahmed Monk, who is a very bright star at just 20, he's 25 years old now. Six foot three, Sacramento Kings star Malik Bunk, giving back to the natural state. Thank you, sir. And go Big Blue. And maybe we'll get you back here in the uh, South at some point playing in the NBA. I don't know what Michael Jordan and the Hornets were doing when they allowed you to get out of the Queen City after a couple of years where he uh, – I mean, he was a great player in college. He was the SEC Player of the Year back in 2017 and has done wonders, wonders. And he was the 11th overall pick when the Hornets got him in the 2017 NBA draft. Malik Monk, thank you for the turkey, sir. We are going to continue talking turkey here on this y'all show. When we come back, we've got a Southern book report telling to tell you all about And we'll give you the top best-selling books on the New York Times bestsellers list. That's coming up. And on that list this week, there's a book called Resurrection Walk. Michael Conley has penned that book. Michael did his learning at the University of Florida. We're going to tell you about what he studied there and what else he's done. He's got a lot of books to his credit. We'll tell you about that. And before the hour is up, a little reminder, Snoop Dogg News coming your way on the show that shakes the Southland. Has it been a year since the last time I've seen her, my God, 
I could swear it was ten And the ocean of liquor I drank to forget her Is gonna kill me But I'll drink till then I've been living in hell With a bar for a cell Still paying for my cheating crime And I've got a long way to go Still doing time Still doing time In a honky-tonk prison Still doing time Where a man ain't forgiven My poor heart's breaking What that noise gave me Each morning I wake up and I find Still doing time Oh, that was a number one song from 1982, early 1982 for the possum from Saratoga, Texas, George Jones. We're back here talking y'all. We're talking southern stuff. We're talking fun. We're talking edumacation. Right now, we're getting all smart on you because we're going to be talking about books. And those of you who love to pick up a good book, pay attention because we got some important stuff to tell you about. It's our New York Times bestsellers list of books. And we've got a author from Florida that has the number three book on the fiction category this week welcome back in this the y'all show it's our southern book report where we give you the hot reads out there if you're looking for something for thanksgiving the perfect thanksgiving stocking stuffer we'll tell you about some of the great books available here on this southern book report on the new york times bestsellers list brand new this week it's rebecca yarrows now she's had fourth wing as a bestseller for quite some time that book Drops down to number two this week because the new book from Rebecca, Iron Flame, makes its debut on the fiction category at number one. This is the second book in the Empyrean series as Violet Sorengal's next round of training might require her to betray the man she loves. Iron Flame, Rebecca Yaros, it's number one this week. Fourth Wing, her other book, It's, uh, again, dropping down to number two. As Violet is urged by the commanding general, who is also her mother, to become a candidate for the elite dragon riders. Fourth Wing comes in at number two. Brand new this week at number three on the New York Times bestsellers fiction category list. It's Resurrection Walk from Michael Conley. More on Michael in a second, but this is the seventh book in the Lincoln Lawyer series, as Holler and Bosch team up to prove the innocence of a woman in prison for killing her husband. Resurrection Walk. It's number three. More on Michael in a second, as I told you. The Arkansan slash Mississippian slash Virginians book, still doing quite well. John Grisham and The Exchange. It is the follow up to the firm and Mitch McDeer in this one who's now a partner in the world's largest law firm, gets caught up in a sinister plot. The Exchange, John Grisham, 
It is number four on New York Times combined print and ebook fiction list. And number five this week, it's brand new. It's from T- Travis Baldry, Bookshops and Bone Dust, in a prequel to Legends and Lattes. An orc who was hurt during a battle winds up with a sleepy beach town, or winds up in a sleepy beach town called Merck. <laughs> Bookshops and Bone Dust. That's number five this week. Again, Michael Conley's book, Resurrection Walk, is number three in the fiction category this week. And here is a guy who is a proven 100% Yankee. I mean, this guy grew up in Connecticut and has been writing books mostly in the crime fiction category for quite some time as he's had these detective novels and more show up, best-selling books. He has been the best-selling author of 38, 38 now, best-selling books in his time as a writer. And he's sold over 74 million copies of his books worldwide. He is a force in the writing world. And that's why here on the Y'all Show, we're going to tell you about this Connecticut-born guy because he recently went down to Australia and did a Q&A that we found a clip of. And that's why we wanted to kind of show you here on today's Y'all Show, let you hear Michael at the Sydney Writers Festival because writers oftentimes don't go out and do public events. They are too busy uh, writing. But Michael went down there, and you get to hear a little bit more about his style and what drove him to turn a Connecticut Yankee-turned-Southern writer into a writing force. I mean, all those millions of books sold. I think he's doing pretty good at his day job, don't you think? Michael Conley. Born in 1950, what is that, 1956. Born in Philly, but raised in Connecticut before ending up going to Florida. I'm sorry, he may never have lived there. I must be confusing him with someone else in Connecticut. Sorry. Pennsylvania, Connecticut, it's all the same, right? You know, come on. Uh, But anyway, at some point at age 12, his family moved from Philly to Fort Lauderdale, and there he attended St. Thomas Aquinas High School and went on to go to the University of Florida. He'd planned on following his father's early career choice of building construction when he went to UF in Gainesville at the Rinker School of Building Construction, but at some point he went to see Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye film and it inspired Connolly to want to become a mystery writer, and that's what, exactly what he's done. Again, Michael Connolly has done one heck of a job in his detective novels and crime fiction writing as he features LAPD detective Harry Bosch and criminal defense attorney Mickey Haller in his books. The Black Echo was his first novel. It won the Mystery Writers of America Edgar Award when it came out in 1992. Quite a career, and Michael has this newest book out. It's number three 
Resurrection Walk, the seventh book in his Lincoln Lawyer series. Here he is Conley again at the Sydney Writers Festival, talking a little bit more about his background, writing, and and more. Cool guy and a writing force, Michael Conley. And, you know, so I, I make my living making it up, and then they told me I had to come out and tell a true story. Uh, <laughs> and it feels like I've been hiding behind uh, false stories for uh, most of my adult life. And so I've been waffling on what to tell because I wasn't sure what to tell, um, you know, all week. Um, and I'm really happy the lights are so bright, I think I'm talking to myself. Um, <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd tell a story. Uh, I call it, um, I just called it this today when I decided this what I'd tell it. Um, my moment of clarity. It wasn't the moment I knew I wanted to be the writer, but it was the, the, the moment I knew how to write or I knew what I needed to do to write. Um, I guess it was kind of late. I decided when I was 19 years old that I wanted to be a writer. Um, not only that, but more specifically, I wanted to be a crime writer because that was what I loved to read. And um, that's what I wanted to do. And I thought there, was, uh, there were ways of uh, taking that form uh, uh, to greater dimensions. And, and it was books that had that greater dimension that inspired me to want to be a, a crime writer. So that was when I was 19, um, and then when uh, I was 35, that was when I first held a book I had written in my hand. Uh, so a lot had happened in those 16 years. And uh, this was a, a moment that um, if it had not happened to me, um, uh, I, I was sure I wouldn't be standing here today, tonight, um, which at the moment doesn't seem like such a bad thing. But... <laughs> um, so um, I, when I just made that decision, I wanted to be a crime writer. Um, I huddled with my parents and told them, revealed this to them, and, and we came up with a plan or an idea that might lead to the moment that I would be able to take a shot at that. And, um, and that was to go into journalism uh, and, and get a press pass and get to crime scenes, um, hang out in police stations, hang out in criminal courtrooms. And I'd be able to observe the world that I wanted to uh, write in fiction. And so I did that, and uh, for, I did that for 14 years. And all the while I was doing it, I was on my own time uh, writing fiction. Uh, there were some people who read my stories who thought I was writing fiction uh, at the newspaper, but, but that, I wasn't. I, I was really separating these lies, and at night I would write, and on weekends I would write. And over time, I, I wrote my first novel, and uh, I, I was not set in Los Angeles as all my books are now. I, I was actually writing for my hometown paper in uh, South Florida, uh, a state all the way 3,000 miles away from California. And um, it was based somewhat on a, a true story that I had written about as a, as a reporter, and I worked on it for a couple years, and when it was done, I read it, and, um, and I decided that uh, no other person should ever read that story. And I, uh, I put it in a drawer, and later I put it in a box, and it somehow has disappeared, and, and that's really what it deserved. Um, but it was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bereft, I wasn't depressed, it was all part of the, the learning process. And I, I started it again, and uh, I started another one, another story based on something I had written as a reporter about a kid who uh, faked his kidnapping and the detective who figured it out. And I wrote a novel based on that uh, over about two more years. And when I read that, it was a lot better than the first one, but it also should not have been read 
uh, by anyone else, not even my mother. And because uh, she wanted to read it, but I wouldn't let her read it. Um, and it, it got the same fate. And I, I, that was when I kind of went through my winter of discontent and I had to try to figure out what, what I was missing. And I had um, good stories in these books, um, a good framework of stories. And, you know, I'm a voracious reader of crime fiction and I was comparing it to stuff that was being published and stuff that I loved and stuff that I didn't love even. And I, and I just knew it was missing something. And I didn't know what it was. And, uh, you know, so I went through the, you know, and it had taken a lot of, of time. And I was married. We were wanting to have a family. But I knew I couldn't have a kid, help raise a kid, while I was spending four or five nights a week writing and one day on the weekend. Um, even though I was living in the same house of my, as my wife, it was like we had one day a week together. And, and so it was a big sacrifice. And so I really had to weigh, do I keep doing this? Maybe I'm not the person who should be writing novels. And this is a very interesting job I have anyway, so maybe that's what it should be. And so I took some time off from writing fiction as I was thinking about all this. And on my job, I was um, the, the crime reporter on a, for kind of a small town, um, medium-sized town, about 300,000 people lived in it. And I had grown up there, and I knew a lot of people and was very comfortable. And I got this opportunity um, to... Uh, uh, spend a week with the Homicide Squad. They were having a very busy year. This was in the 80s. This is when uh, all the uh, cocaine was flooding into Miami and violence was spreading through the state of Florida. And we were just an hour's drop ride north of Miami, so we got our fair share of violence in the town I grew up in. It's called Fort Lauderdale. And uh, so the uh, homicides were way up. Um, and that was a news story. And the, uh went in and lobbied the police chief to let me inside the homicide squad to see how they work. And, uh, and I would write a long uh, magazine story for the Sunday magazine of the paper. And I got that approved. And, you know, this was in the 80s. There weren't cell phones. There was not the same kind of technology involved in media or um, uh, law enforcement as there is today, obviously. So I was given a pager, and the head of the squad was a guy named, improbably enough, uh, Sergeant Hurt. And... Um, my instructions were you would have full access, but you were to be attached at the hip to Sergeant Hurt so you don't mess up any crime scenes, you don't get in the way. And All good information. I encourage you to go to the YouTube channel because I didn't realize Michael Connolly was so long-winded with his uh, speaking. That's pretty impressive by a guy who makes his living behind a keyboard typing out best-selling novels and more but this is a YouTube channel you can check out called 5 by 15 Stories. That's 5x15 Stories on YouTube. And you can hear more of Michael Conley and how I became a crime writer. And pretty fascinating talk. I want to hear the rest of this thing. We just don't have time to keep playing here on the Y'all Show. But more about Michael Conley, the writer of such great books, who has the number three book right now on the New York Times bestsellers list, Resurrection Walk, debuting this week. If that name sounds familiar, if you're not a person that reads lots of books, a couple of his books have turned into TV shows, TV series, and more, as Level 9 is one of those type series. Castle, another series that he has had a role in. He actually was an actor in Castle. Bosch is his series that he co-created, and it's been out there 
in TV form and also the follow-up Bosch Legacy. And then he's also been executive producer of Sound of Redemption, the Frank Morgan story. And a few of his works have been adapted. Blood Work, a film directed by Clint Eastwood, is based on the novel Blood Work that he did. The Lincoln Lawyer is a movie that he did. 2011 is the year Lincoln Lawyer came out. And that is a movie that Matthew McConaughey stars in. I've seen that. It's a really, really good movie where he practices law out of a Lincoln Continental. And that's a Michael Conley book turned into a film. Also, Bosch is a series developed that's out there done for seven years on TV that is available if you have a chance to see that. I'm not sure where it made its debut, but Bosch, I've seen that promoted in some areas. And then a series called Lincoln Lawyer also has been done for TV. Michael Conley, very, very talented University of Florida alum, in his book, Resurrection Walk, now number three, this week on the New York Times fiction category. Let's tell you quickly about the nonfiction books before we take a break and come back with some Snoop Dogg news. It's been out now three weeks on the chart, but Britney Spears, Hammond, Louisiana's area girl, Kentwood, Louisiana, is where she's technically from. The Woman in Me, Britney Spears, it is her memoir. It is number one on the nonfiction category. The Grammy Award-winning pop star detailing her personal and professional experiences in The Woman and Me, Britney Spears, numero uno in nonfiction. Number two, another lady that can sing songs. I don't think she struts quite like Britney, but Barbara Streisand has penned the book, My Name is Barbara. And in it, she journeys her show business career, and she reveals details about some of her personal relationships. Barbara Streisand, number two, this week. Number three, it's been out over a year and a half now, Killers of the Flower Moon from David Gron. Rachel Maddow's book has been out a month, prequel. It's number four on the nonfiction category. And Matthew Perry, the late Matthew Perry, had a book called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. And the late actor known for playing Chandler on Friends shares stories from his childhood and his struggles with sobriety. His book comes in at number five, in the nonfiction category this week. And that is the Southern Book Report here on this Tuesday Y'all Show. Thank you again, Michael Conley, for letting us learn a lot more about your background and go check that YouTube channel out and learn more about how he got his start. Remember, he mentioned he wrote two duds before he ever started having success as a writer. If you're somebody who's been thinking about writing, you just got to get out there and do it. You just need to do it, and you're going to only get better as time goes by. And Michael spent a long time writing that first book, and only his eyes saw it. And guess what? He doesn't even know where that thing is now, based on what we just heard in that clip there. So it's okay to fail. You just got to, when you get kicked down, you got to get back up. And Michael Connolly's taken that experience to be a best-selling writer multiple times over. We're going to wrap this hour up with an entertainment report when we come right back. This is y'all.
music starlet Jenna Kramer and guess what she's a new mommy she just had her third child we'll tell you about that in just a second the Yankee turned Nashvilleian I, I think she lives in Nashville at least part-time at least congratulations to Jenna and her her guy Alan Russell I'll tell you more about him in a second but yes a new mother for the third time that is Jana Kramer. We're back here. A little entertainment news to close out this hour of the Y'all Show. And let's start on the left coast with some news from the entertainment world. And this is big news. Rapper, actor, and Mary Jane lover Snoop Dogg. Uh, he's in the news. Has he had people believing he was an abandoning, he was going to stop smoking. But it turns out he meant he was going smokeless in a different way. Snoop posted a video Monday on Instagram with the caption, I'm done with smoke. I'm going smokeless with at solo stove. As he made this announcement saying he was giving up smoke. I know what you're thinking. Smoke is kind of your whole thing, but I'm done with it. Done with the coughing and my clothes smelling all sticky icky. I'm going smokeless, Snoop Dogg said. And then, this is a good news for Southerners. Snoop revealed that he's going to have the Solo Stove Smokeless Fire Pit. Solo Stove has since announced that Snoop Dogg will be their official spokesman in support of the company's quest to eliminate smoke from backyards everywhere. And so they got a backyard grill that Snoop Dogg, the 52-year-old, entertainer and whatever else he is uh is their pitch man okay pretty smart to get him if you're trying to go smokeless why not get snoop dog but yeah not what you thought there in the headline of snoop dog i wonder how good he is on that grill wayne brady is a florida native wayne brady has been reportedly in a physical altercation with a driver who hit him in a DUI crash. This happened in California Sunday evening. The 51-year-old host of Let's Make a Deal driving on the Pacific Coast Highway in Malibu when another crash, another car struck his car, according to law enforcement officials. Both drivers pulled over and started arguing before, quote, escalating into a physical altercation. Brady reportedly called 911 while the other driver fled the scene. Sheriff's deputies located that man who was arrested for battery, DUI, and hit and run. I think Wayne Brady's okay, but 
little physical altercation in California. Got to be careful there in Cali on a Sunday with a physical altercation. All right, back to Jana Kramer. So she has just had her third child as she and her man, Roman James Russell, is the is the child. She and her fiancé, Alan Russell, have just had their son, Roman James Russell, their first child together. Now, Jana and Russell have children from other relationships. This is actually Jana's third child, Roman weighing in at six pounds, one ounce. Congratulations to Jana and, again, her guy, who is an actor, I believe, that she's just had this baby with, Jana Kramer. Now, Jana is a Michigander. She grew up in Rochester Hills, Michigan. She went to Rochester Adams High School, and then she went on to be an actress. She was on All My Children. She also appeared on CSI, Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, and more. But she always loved music. She was on Dancing with the Stars at one point. Got a lot of fame there. And got a chance to go be a singer at a certain point in time. And she did quite well with that. This song that I just played, Why You Wanna, was very well played on country radio. In fact, I'm going to pull up just how well it did. It went to number three on the country music chart. And then she had a song called I Got the Boy that went to number five back in 2015. So this song was out that I just played a moment ago in 2012 and uh, received a platinum certification for Janet Kramer. Great news there. Clint Black has just revealed his 35th Killing Time tour. If you want to go check out Clint Black soon, you have a chance to go see him at locations all over the country. This tour will be kicking off soon as it is stretching across 2024 the first date is in nashville february 16th at the ryman auditorium and it wraps up in new salem north dakota clint black go see him Final hour of this Tuesday Y'all Show. Glad to have you back here as we discuss what's going on across the Southeast today. Got a fun hour. Our friend Jerry Short is going to be back here to talk about money and how things have gotten way out of control in this Bidenomics world that we live in. The Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, coming up in the next segment before the hour is up. I've got a great read to tell you about. I'll relay information that I found off of a website from foodnetwork.com, 83 Thanksgiving appetizers. I'm not going to go through all 83, but I'll give you a few of the good ones. All that to get you set up for Turkey Day in just a handful of days. We also have a couple of headlines that we get to. Remind you that you can reach us here on the Y'all Show. Our text line is open, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. You can email us, mail at y'all.com. We'd love to 
Get your feedback here anytime, whether you're catching us on the radio or if you're one of our great podcast listeners as we're available on all those various platforms. And we're also available at y'all.com. Simple and free, the Y'all Show podcast. Thank you for all of you who get it. I'm seeing the numbers get up to over a thousand and more each time we put a show out. So thank you for that. All right. Let's talk about some headlines before we bring in the Takapola storyteller. The big story politically might have been what happened on Monday evening when Mike Johnson of Shreveport decided to get his Thanksgiving week kicked off in Mar-a-Lago as he and President Trump got together at Trump's South Florida estate. Johnson last week put his support behind President Trump's 2024 bid for President of the United States. But those two hanging out at Mar-a-Lago Monday evening. I'm not sure how newsworthy that is, what kind of uh, big details they were working out, but the House Speaker heading to Mar-a-Lago over the weekend. Now, it's going to be a soggy Mar-a-Lago, perhaps today into Wednesday, as we've got some storms making their way across the southeast that are going to be affecting travel plans and more. Check out your local weather forecast to see if it's going to be affecting your area. We had some power outages Monday in Mississippi, for example. Now, there's a little bit of a power outage within the Democratic Party as they're trying to figure out what in the world to do with Joe Biden. He celebrated his 80th birthday on Monday. He even joked about it at the White House. He said, uh, I just want to thank all y'all for coming out to help me celebrate my 60th birthday. Ha, ha, ha. You know, poking fun of his age, getting his age wrong. But it's no laughing matter. In fact, I've got an audio clip I'm going to play now from CBS News as they are discussing here on a program that they've got about President Biden seeing a 15-point drop in support among young voters. And that's out on a new NBC poll that shows this 15% drop since September. And so this is amazing, amazing big-time drops that we're seeing from the sitting president of the United States. So we're going to go now to CBS News as they have a political show that's on there called America Decides. And let's hear a couple of bright minds in the political world discuss this 15% drop of support. It's NPR's White House correspondent Deepa Sharvism and Politico correspondent Braxton Booker. Booker and Travram talking on this CBS News show that you can catch on YouTube at CBS News on YouTube. And here's their conversation about how Biden is seeing this big decline in support. 15-point drop in just two months. Let's start out by talking about this big drop in young voters, obviously a critical constituency for Democrats in particular. Uh, Deepa, how much do you think this has to do with the fact that um, you know, it all com- comes amid Uh, tensions between Israel and Hamas and the president coming down firmly on the side of Israel. Yeah, this is definitely very much tied to that. I think this is a poll that has shown uh, for a while there's been a lack of enthusiasm among younger voters when it comes to Joe Biden. But as this uh, international uh, situation has unfolded, uh, there's a lot of criticism among young voters about how President Biden has sided with Israel unequivocally uh, and has been a little bit late to the game. A lot of younger voters I've spoken to would say, uh, even talking about civilian casualties in Gaza, uh, something that he has been, they felt a little flippant uh, about in the past 
past several weeks, maybe not paying as much attention to that, not focusing on that. We've seen protests around the country, large ones in D.C., large ones in other uh, places all over the United States where young voters are really turning up to say, you know, we don't agree with this administration. And and now what we're seeing is polling to to back that up. And so there is a really big gap uh, with how much younger voters in that demographic of 18 to 34 years old, as this poll pointed out, uh, in terms of how they feel about how the president has handled this crisis and versus how the White House is really moving forward with this. Bracton, what can the White House do to course correct? I mean, I noticed that the president and everyone on down has been careful recently to say, you know, bombings at hospitals need to stop. We're very concerned about Palestinian civilians. In fact, in the White House briefing today, John Kirby point blank said there have been too many civilian casualties, which is something that they haven't said that explicitly until now. It does seem like they're trying to make a, a, a change here. Well, look, they're, they're trying to make a change, but I, I think what you need to see from, from this president is you need to see him get outside of Washington and take his message to the people. I mean, it, you talk about the protests happening. Uh, you're also seeing protests happening on, on college campuses where young voters mm-hmm. are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would think that the president will want to get out into the, into the field and have conversations with young voters and talk to them about what the administration is doing, right? Um, so far, we're not seeing that. We're seeing this kind of like bubble wrap of this president and make sure that he stays in the White House, make sure that they can control all, aspect, all aspects of the message right now. Right. And I don't think you can play it safe at this point. Uh, right. We're seeing that the poll numbers are, are going south for this president. Right. All right. That again, some analysis coming in from a Politico correspondent Bracton Booker, as well as the NPR White House correspondent Deepa Shavram on CBS News. Some fascinating information. Again, Trump continues in polling to do a great job in head-to-head theoretical matchups with Joe Biden. The point is in this interview that we heard that Biden, specifically among young voters, is having a huge drop of support, it appears, according to the latest NBC poll that just came out. That's a look at some of our headlines for this final hour of our Tuesday show. When we come back, we're going to shift over to, you know, we're going to kind of keep the heat on Joe Biden. Not only is he losing support with young voters, he's losing support with a lot of Americans because they're tired of paying way too much money for stuff. This Bidenomics thing ain't really going too good for most of America. And we'll talk about that with our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. So go ahead right now during the break and uh, listen to our great commercials, but also pull out your wallet and compare your wallet today to what it was, let's say, back in 2019. And you tell me if you've got more money now than you did back then or if things were a lot more affordable in 2019 as opposed to now. Hmm. We'll discuss. It's the Takapola storyteller. And he's coming your way next on the show that shakes the Southland. Show is back 
Good to have you back with us on this Tuesday edition. It's Takapola storyteller Jared Short joining your true-led John Rawl. Y'all.com presents this program each and every day. And, you know, the Y'all Show, many people say, Jerry, this is the best valued program out there. You get more for your money with the Y'all Show than any other broadcast. Well, I don't know where you get your uh, information, (laughs) but, uh, you know, my part, I'm sure, uh, is a negative on some of that uh, rating you get. Well, it's it's, it's a fun thing to do for people to listen to this program and it doesn't cost them one wooden nickel. Let's see if we can make somebody laugh today. Then. Well, we'll try to make them laugh, especially with this topic that I'm bringing on you. Talking about saving money. Are you ready for a good laugh? Oh, mercy. That's been a chore for me. Ah. <laughs> Go ahead. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the complete wasting of money that Goodness goes on. Gracious. I mean, absolute wasting of money from, of course, the government to what people spend money on what things are costing, and just you have to sit here and get almost a chuckle out of what people pay for things, and it's not only because of Bidenomics. It's it's ridiculous, Jerry. I know. And then the things that people really need to be spending money on, oftentimes they get completely neglected, or the charitable things that people could and should be giving money to, have the hardest time getting by. I don't understand it. You're older than me. Help me make sense of all this. Well, if you wanted a spread between what something cost in the uh, late 50s, early 60s to today, uh, I don't know if there's a percentage high enough, but, you know, you mentioned you almost get a laugh out of it. I did get a little laugh the other day. Uh, I had something went wrong with my four-wheel drive uh, Toyota, and, uh, I would order a part, and it had to come out of Canada. Well, my mechanic had put it in and said, well, you know, that part's going to co- probably cost you $250. So That's not too bad. I go to pick it up, and it's $800. Oh, well, that yeah. is that is bad. But they can't get it. I had to order it out of Canada. Hey. So they said four days. Well, it took a week. And then they sent the wrong part. So I've been a real go-getter here lately. I've been taking my wife to work mm. in her vehicle and using her vehicle in the daytime. So we had a friend that we used to call a go-getter yeah. because he took his wife to work and went back and got her in the afternoon. Well, maybe they just loved so, each other. Uh, yeah. They didn't stay married very long. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, you know, as you look back at the cost, I did when I went by that uh, uh, place to pick up the part, you know, I was a little bit hungry. It was early in the morning. I'd taken my wife to work, and I went by this drive-through window, and uh, I pulled up in this uh, drive-through. Go ahead restaurant. and tell us who it is, because you know they're not oh, okay. they're, well, they're not a no sponsor, deal, and know? so and, uh, I don't mind telling the truth on uh, people who aren't sponsoring our. Well, program. I mean, it, you know, it's not like that they just went way off board, but uh, I, uh, you know, I really didn't know if they were even open for breakfast because the first ones I ever had, they. Uh, where they had little bitty hamburgers, and you're going to know who I'm talking about in just a second. Little bitty hamburgers, and okay. And you could get them for 10 cents a piece. Ooh, only Crystal and, and maybe. That might be who it might be. Uh, crystal and, and also White Castle. Crystal. Okay. I got I used to get those crystals in Memphis when I was a boy for 10 cents a piece. My uncle would well, take they're not so. 10 cents anymore. And uh, so anyway, you know, I look, I said, you know, I need a sausage and biscuit and a small Coke. 
So I'm going to drive through there and just get him. Just one sausage just and one biscuit. Just one sausage and biscuit. One sausage. One sausage, one biscuit. That should have set you back with a small Coke, you and said? a small Coke. Okay. At a place like Crystal, probably should have cost no more than $4. Well, it was five twenty-six, And uh, I drove through the window and ordered it. And uh, drive forward. And I drove forward. At, what are you? Five twenty-six. So I thought, you know, I ought to just drive on off because... I'm going to – this. the biscuit was really not that good. It was kind of uh, cooked to the point that it would break on you. You know, Jerry, I really haven't heard too many people going around saying, man, have you been down to Crystal lately? They have the most incredible sausage biscuit. <laughs> that was the first one I had, but I was going to have to go back through town. So it was on the main highway. I got you. So I pulled in there. And, uh, so I, you know, uh, two or three days later I said, I'm going to try that at McDonald's. I'm not a big McDonald's fan. But I do like their sausage and biscuit and large. They have tea. a very good sausage, and it's also big. Yeah, it's big it's and a big large circular. Right. I don't know large, what's I don't know what's in there. Yeah, but I, well, I I've eat a few of them because that's what I get on when I'm on the road a lot for breakfast. So I pulled in one, and it was four twenty three. Okay. See, and it was more bigger and better than that other. It's getting to the point that they can just ask you. Any price they want to put on something. And no questions are usually asked in return. You know, like if you go to a Sonic, you know, I had a grandson in high school that worked at a Sonic. He got good tips, but they pay you like 250 an hour or something mm-hmm. like that. And then that comes off of your tips. You know, you've got to make minimum wage for the day. Yeah. But he'd he pull down as much as $100 a day at a Sonic. Uh, but their stuff has gotten high. Let me tell you about it, Jerry. Yeah, tell do, me. Do you mind if I no, tell I a story to, or two? I want you to buddy in and, and tell me. In the storyteller segment? That's absolutely So right. just the other day, I, first of all, tried to go to a Sonic, and every single stall was completely occupied. Right. So I noticed they had a couple of benches out there in the courtyard section right. of their Sonic location. So I went there, and I was with my really close relative, mm-hmm. and he and I, Went there and had a uh, late night snack, you could say, nine o'clock, roughly, is when it was. And it was a a snack that was a a double cheeseburger, tots, and a drink. That was one order. The other was the three piece chicken tender, tots, and a drink. And then I got the cheap ice cream cones. What's your Jerry Short retail value is for that? Fourteen dollars. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being twenty three fifty. And then at Sonic, you know, you throw in a little tip. I was I gave them basically twenty six bucks. So you threw in three on top of the twenty three fifty. Two fifty. I threw in two fifty. So is that, am I, am I, that's a whole other subject. What should man. you tip at Sonic? <laughs> should I talk to your grandson? Yeah. Oh, uh, well, that Mr. was $100 a day. At, oh, man, he's back in college, and so uh, I don't even think he's working. <clears throat> I think he made enough money. I don't give 15% to Sonic people. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I, May, I, maybe 10%. I'll throw a dollar out there every now and then at Sonic, you know. But I don't get anything but an all-American hot dog and a drink, and uh, that'll end up costing you four bucks. Yeah. You know? But Sonic and Crystal both, if you're listening, if you want to sponsor our show, we'll say nothing but positive things That's about right. you. But you're not sponsoring, so we're just yeah. telling the truth here. 
So yeah, that cost me about $26 that late night snack there at Sonic. And, and I just don't, it wasn't even that good. No, Jerry. it's not. It, my, my sausage and biscuits was not that good, but, uh, and, and I haven't told you about my TCBY experience. TCBY. Yeah. You've been into one of those lately? Yeah, not lately. Well, I stopped by one of those for the first time in about 30 years. And back in the nineties at TCBY, it was pretty easy to go in there and get you something. Today you got to go in there and get you something, but then they have to weigh it. They weigh it. In they TCBY. they weigh it at, at TCBY. So I go in there, and and it wasn't even for me. It was for that same close relative of mine yeah. <laughs> who who decided he wanted some yogurt, and I'm like, okay, fine, I'll pay for it. So he goes and and fills up his little bowl, and then he goes and gets some Oreo chips put into the bowl. Then you go weigh it, and the guy said it was about eighty seven cents per ounce. Yeah. And, and and that 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 yogurt set me back twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. Yes, for one bowl, for one not bowl. two. One bowl of yogurt. You got to be for kidding. a thirteen-year-old. One. Well, I don't can, care. Can, if it's can you imagine going in there with a couple of kids? I can't imagine him going in there for myself. But uh, <laughs> you know, this weighing situation can really get out of. Is hand. it weighing on you? Yeah, I had that happen the other day. Where she brought it up. This was at a Circle K. I was getting gasoline, and uh, I was at the service station part. Also, not a sponsor. No, just, just, just sponsor. to be clear, yeah, but should be. Should be. And so I go inside, and uh, I decided I was going to get a Coke because Circle K usually gives you a good deal, like seventy-five cents on a large Coke or something like that, a fountain Coke. Yeah. And uh, you go by it. I went and got it, and then I come by the uh, hot dog. You know how they'll cook them internally yeah. there in the store and. It was rolling over, and so all <laughs> I did was calling your name. <laughs> yeah, all I did was take that hot dog, get one hot dog, and I put it on a bun. And so I went up to pay out, and uh, the cashier behind the counter said, uh, "Set your drink over on this uh, scale." I couldn't tell it was a scale; it looked like the counter. It was in front of the window where he was behind, and I set it over there, and he weighed it. And and he said, your hot dog, and I set it over there. They weighed the hot dog, the one hot dog. Over there, they were priced two for 250 or something. I don't remember. But uh, I just got one because I was just kind of getting a snack. And uh, so he comes back, and then he says, okay, put your money in this slot. Had a slot in the front. Then he handed him the money. You did not hand no. it? No. You had so, to go through some kind of yeah, slot? Yeah, slot. Put the money. I put a $5 bill. It gave me some change, little change back. I forgot what I paid for that. It's been a month or so ago. It was like three dollars and something because the drink ended up probably a better deal on the drink. It was in a sixty cent variety, but the uh, normally it would have been like seventy five, I think. But the hot dog must have really jumped it up, and it must have really been a good hot dog to get it up to about three seventy five or so. And uh, that's all I had. And, you know, you used to go in those truck stops and get those things if you were traveling across. Uh, oh, yeah. I got I got one not long ago at a Flying J. Yeah. And they got those out there in the middle yeah. of the aisle uh -huh. catch your attention That's the way late, that one was. Yeah. late at night, sitting there spinning around like, ah, this so, can't be yeah. good. But, but what the heck? Uh, it actually, it was good. It's not like a Bucky's. Now, Bucky's is high. But I, th I find you get enough... Uh, Quantity in a bu at a Bucky's. If you're familiar with the Bucky's truck stops, stopped you by know. one a week ago. Up in Tennessee, I, 
Crouch. No, I was in Leeds, Alabama. In fact, oh, I got yeah, my I picture with Bucky the mascot. Leeds. Yeah. Did you not yeah. see that? Yeah, no, I didn't see that, but uh, he's in there occasionally. Gosh, they sell everything. Don't tell me that. I thought it was a pretty rare deal for me and Bucky to get But it is rare a... for you and Bucky to be together there. But I had a, a very expensive lunch. The gas is cheap at Bucky's. It's cheap, but look, at burrito, you can get a nine ninety nine burrito, and uh, it's as good as a full meal at a Taco Bell, you know, or something like that. Okay. And, uh, Didn't know you were a burrito kind of guy. Yeah, well, I, I wasn't until they, they got a steak burrito. Oh. It's got a lot of good stuff with it, and it's really big. I have not even eat the whole thing. I folded it up while I was No driving. way. Yeah, and eat the rest of it, you know, maybe 100 miles down the road or so. But uh, anyway, those things have really gotten ridiculous. And, you know, what, to throw you a comparison, and, you know, it's crazy to compare stuff, but uh, when I was a kid, a younger person, you could get a we had a little uh, little place in town called Little Pete's, and you'd go in there. You could get a hamburger steak, French fries, Coke, and uh, a little side salad for a uh, dollar. <laughs> and uh, I told, told y'all we were going to laugh in yeah. this segment. You got to uh, be kidding me! No, huh? And that was you know we thought that was high. How much I, used a uh, bottled Coke, the old small Coke? A bottle Cokes. of Coke started out, I've got one of the machines that I got out of an old store. In your lifetime, not back when oh, they started. My, yeah, in my lifetime. The first one that uh, my daddy had in his uh, restaurant and service station, he had a five-cent Coke machine. Okay. And uh, That's the small one? That ones? was a six-and-a-half-ounce bottle. Okay. And they went in the had a, they had a turnabout in the middle of the uh, backside of that machine. You opened the front door. And you drop your nickel in. Well, they decided to go up uh, a few years later. Say that was uh, 57 or so. Say in 60, they decided that Cokes were worth six cents. Now, you could redeem your bottle for a penny, a bottle, which we used to do. So, you know, we'd find people would throw the old bottles out then, you know, the Coke bottles. Yeah. And they'd have the name of the town. Every town had a Coke plant in it. And you'd used to bet off of the bottom. Where's yours? Father's one away of us four guys. We pay for the Cokes, you know. Oh. And it might have Amarillo, Texas on it. It might have Los Angeles on it. It might have uh, Charleston, South Carolina on it. Or it might have Water Valley, Mississippi on the bottom. Because they had a Coke plant there, and that little town's like that. Really? It, yeah. I went to one in the uh, third or fourth grade on a field trip where they was making Cokes and bottling them in that place. Uh, it was downtown in uh, Water Valley. And uh, they put on the b- bottom of the bottle, it said Water Valley, Mississippi. And uh, Where in the hell is Water Valley, Mississippi? Yeah, I saw a T-shirt that said that one time. <laughs> and I was eating in a roundabout restaurant in Mendenhall, Mississippi. The young man had one on. He said, uh, all in one letter, where the hell is Water Valley, Mississippi? <laughs> and I kept trying to make it out. And I finally made it out. I said, I believe I know where that is, but anyway. But you were talking about the machine when it I'm went up from five to, well, to yeah, six cents. Well, yeah, then six cents. So instead of reproducing the machines and making machines, what they did, they put what they called an honor box on the side of it. They screwed it in with a, well, with a uh, metal screw, screwed it on the side of the machine. Of the Coke machine. The Coke Coca-Cola machine. did yeah, this. Coca-Cola did it. The Coca-Cola route man come around. And he put one on every nickel machine. 
and you would have put the one penny, they call it the honor box. I never fail not to put that penny in there. Now, can you imagine today? They'd be tearing the box off to get however many pennies was in it. These people we have out there in society today. Oh, yeah. But, however, we would put that penny in it. I have one of those machines. And uh, it, uh, well, I say I do. It was at the house that my daughter got from in. Uh, it's in her around her swimming pool. But uh, it's fading out. It needs a good paint job because I got it in an old, old store one time. But, uh, you know, they went from six cents that way as an honor thing. And then they go to a dime, and then they go to a quarter. So they, they did go from six to ten? Yeah. And then the theater, the theater when I first went to theaters, were 15 cents. And that would get you in the theater for a, for a movie, okay? But then they went to 25 cents by, oh, I was probably 10th grade when they went to 25 cents. My daddy cut me back to just going to one a week. Because they'd gotten so expensive, you know, and it was at 25 cents. So the guy felt sorry for me at the theater, and, and if I would go on Sunday and pay him the 25 cents, they'd run the same move, movie Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. He'd let me in uh, Monday and Tuesday free because I'd already paid for Sunday, and I was watching Doris Day and Rock Hudson and Pillar Talk or something, you know. So anyway, you know, and they'd do the same thing for me on Wednesday because they had the same movie on uh thursday and friday so anyway things have really changed and we are really paying through the automobiles and the house that we bought when we moved to a town we paid two thousand dollars for it in 1955 and uh a nice house oh yeah well not long ago it sold in this same town for one hundred and seventy thousand dollars or something in that neighborhood and uh we paid two thousand in 55. And well, I know how much you pay for the house you're currently in, and you got as, oh, well, as, it, as cheap of a deal as uh, you possibly could get. Oh, yeah, I got I got an unbelievable deal, but it was because the gentleman that was in there had committed suicide, and they couldn't sell the house. People just, you know, you know how some people get spooked off for things. But that, they'd left the house all closed up with big drapes on it. Mm-hmm. It was an expensive house at one time, really expensive. guy built it, it owned a whole bunch of, kind of like a Walmart system about four or five stores together his sons are one who committed suicide and uh, uh i pulled the old wet carpet up back when i was looking at it and it had hardwood floors the whole house had hardwood floors so uh i bought that house for you know uh i guess you'd say five figures four figures yeah four figures i guess and, uh, but I'm, but I'm only bringing that house up because you got as an incredible steal. Oh yeah, really. but it's still pretty expensive compared to what things were. Oh gosh, he probably built the house brand new in 1921. I believe he had a house burn, and he built that house in 21. He probably built that house for 20 grand. You know, I built my first home, and it was I sold it for 77 thousand in eighty something, eighty five maybe mm-hmm. when I bought that antebellum home. But uh, I, 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 I paid $18,000 for that house, and 3000 of it was for a lot. So the house was $15,000, and that house had 2,000 square feet, and it was first class. It was probably the second-best neighborhood in that town. Hmm. And uh, today, you know, I, I sold a thing in the 80s for 77000 or whatever. 
So today it's probably a $250,000 house. And people can't keep this up. I mean, No, they can't. Jerry, what's your, talking to the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short here on today's Y'all Show, what's the most ridiculously priced thing you're seeing or just complete waste of money you're seeing today? Cars. Cars? Yeah. You know, I picked up cars in the part just spare time yeah. for a car dealer. And I've, I just got back from uh, Mannheim dealership in uh, uh, auction company in uh, uh, Pennsylvania and uh, picked up a $92,000 used. It didn't have but uh, uh, less than 10,000 miles. I think it's 4,000, 5,000 miles, miles on it. BMW. Brought it back from Pennsylvania to Jackson, Mississippi. And the guy was glad to get it for that because he couldn't find that particular car. He was buying it for a girlfriend. Hmm. Must be nice. So, uh, yeah, really. Anyway, you know, and he had to give me $1,000 to go get it. Ooh. And uh, I drove it back, of course, and I drove up there with a the guy. But uh, And then he had to pay for the gas and he had to pay for the meals. So, you know, it cost him a couple of grand to get the thing back. I had to give him my chase car driver four hundred dollars and uh but uh it was guaranteed a thousand to me to go get it because they couldn't they needed it for her birthday but can you imagine ninety two thousand dollars for a bmw used uh wasn't set, sitting on the showroom floor you know i bought an elvis presley car uh in Expl- 19, explain in 19 uh elvis gave it to george klein if you're an elvis fan and uh george klein was uh his advisor on a lot of his movies and went, you know, on the set, and he was a disc jockey in Memphis on WHBQ, 5600. And uh, I bought it at Union Chevrolet in Memphis after a girl had wrecked my 58 Impala. I wasn't but 19 years old, maybe 18. I can't, probably hadn't turned 19 yet. I was about 18. And uh, she had wrecked my car in Louisiana. So I got the train from New Orleans up to Memphis, and my mother and a man was waiting. Uh, her her uh, cousin were waiting on me, and he uh, got over, and I had eighteen hundred dollars with my insurance off of my car that got totaled, and all, and they wanted two thousand for it at Union Chevrolet. He had me call George Klein. He called George Klein up and had me talk to him at the radio station, and I talked to him. He said, "Yeah, Elvis gave me that car. Elvis brought that car and gave it to me as a gift, like he gave everybody's cars." And he said. Uh, it's it's first class. It's never been out of the city limits of Memphis. So uh, uh, sold. Yeah, uh, what was his name? Halstead was his last name. Dick Halstead. He was a salesman at Union Chevrolet. My mother had bought two cars from him. She had a business in Memphis, so I knew it was a good deal, probably. So this other guy, he he forked up two hundred dollars, and I got the two thousand, and I got that car for two thousand. But. Uh, I ran into George Klein in the mall one day. and Years said, later? Years later, years later. And I said, George, I said, you know, I got that convertible you had from Elvis. And he, he goes, said, which one of the thousands yeah, are you yeah, talking about? I got one every year, you know. He, said, he did? Yeah, he got one. He got a new car every year. Elvis came in a new car every year. And Must be nice. Yeah, and it was a, look, it was a convertible. It was a, a 63 Impala convertible with black leather interior and all. 409, you're talking about a sharp car, boy. And uh, shift on the collar, Mary. Man, you're smiling. And uh, yeah, I smile thinking I should have kept that car. But by the, you know, I didn't have any money at that age. And by the time I had to trade, you could see air coming out of those tires. You know, it was it was ready to change. George said, "You still got that car? You know what it's worth?" 
And I said, no, George, what's it worth? He said, it's worth, it's probably worth $100,000. He said, man, you still got it? And I said, no. I said, I had to turn loose of that thing in 65, and this was probably 90-something, you know, that me and George were talking yeah. about that car. Did you tell whoever bought it the story? Uh, that it was an Elvis car? Uh, I traded that car in on a uh, really good car that was only six grand then, which was a 396 Super Sport huh. at Union Chevrolet with the same guy that sold me the Elvis car, Dick Halstead. Oh, Dick. Yeah, old Man, Dick Halstead. Dick must have did pretty, he must he, have done pretty good. He was a Tennessee guy from Alamo, Tennessee. And, uh, oh, anyway. Crockett County, Tennessee, yeah, y'all. Him. But any, 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 anyway, I bought that 396 for 6000 grand. And uh, I sold that to a friend of mine in a couple of years. I always like to trade every year, too. And uh, then, and uh, now I can't afford to even keep one. But uh, back in those days, you could deal, you know. You could trade, you could deal. If I got a little raise with the company I worked for, it was enough to cover a payment on a new car every year. So I never, you never wore out anything. Okay, you've proven in this segment, Mr. Takapola Storyteller, there's a lot of wasteful, expensive things today, but... Going back to old Dick in his days yeah. of selling cars, y'all were wasting money back then, it sounds like. We were. I mean, that was a lot of money. You know, when I got back to Louisiana, I thought I was Elvis Presley Jr. I was picking up so many girls. And then I finally figured out it was a car. Not you. It was a car. That's, <laughs> hey, I wouldn't be here if not for a car. That's a story for another another time. Jerry, always wonderful to talk to you. Yeah, and, man, uh, you too. You still got that car? Oh, hush. Don't don't make me cry. The late George Klein. The late George. He was a good guy. You reckon Dick's still out there? He's probably oh, got I a, imagine Dick's probably gone. He was he was a young guy, though. He was a young son. He's got a car to sell. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. You have a good rest of your week. And thank you all for listening to The Y'all Show. we got more of the show that shakes the Southland coming right up. music to help us close out this tuesday y'all show been a pleasure to be with you here and we got a few more minutes left so why don't we have some fun we're going to talk about some thanksgiving appetizers but before we dive into that fun talk to have our southern food for thought finale segment here of the day we actually have a couple of texts that have come in so let's grab that here on the y'all show you're welcome to text us anytime we'd love to hear from you texter here on the Y'all Show, in reference to our just-completed interview that we did with the Takapolo storyteller, Jerry Short. Jerry talking about how things back in the day were so much cheaper. I think he mentioned that he used to be, as a uh, youngster, 
able to buy Coca-Colas in the bottle for five cents. Texter here says the cheapest on Cokes I remember was 25 cents. We got five cents on return bottles. That's pretty awesome. I'm still blown away by Jerry mentioning the whole honor box on Coca-Cola machines back in the 1950s when they raised the price from five cents to, I think it was one penny up to six cent. And they had a little honor box people would put a little penny in. And they were pretty honorable, according to what Jerry said, back in the 50s. Not so honorable in today's world, I don't think. But I sure would like to see a five-cent Coca-Cola come back, wouldn't you? <laughs> Another text in, it says, a $92,000 car. That's amazing with a thumbs-down emoji. Yeah, I actually uh, I actually saw a picture of that car Jerry was talking about that he brought. $92,000 vehicle. And I'm trying to, it was a GMC car, I think. Now I'm trying to remember. Was it worth 92000 Well, you know, I think it was. If you if you happen to know who received it, I think she was very appreciative of that night. It wasn't anybody I know. But uh, how about that? Just a gift of nearly a $100,000 car. Not a bad deal. Texter, texter, thank you. Another text says, honor box today. Ha, ha, ha. Have a great Southern day. Well, thank you, Texter. We appreciate that. We appreciate all the feedback that we get here on the Y'all Show. We sure hope you enjoyed that conversation that we have each and every Tuesday with our Taco Polo storyteller, Jerry Short. Well, I'm not sure what Jerry's Thanksgiving plans are. I'm not sure what your Thanksgiving plans are, but foodnetwork.com has an article that has been posted, 83 Thanksgiving appetizers that are sure to impress. So if you don't have everything quite set up for Thanksgiving Day here in a couple of days, well, this article here has lots and lots of things, 83 great appetizers that you can have at your Thanksgiving feast. And often we don't think about appetizers. We think about the turkey and the dressing, but you can have things like butternut squash soup. And if you go to foodnetwork.com, not only will you be able to see photos of like the butternut squash soup, but they've got the recipe, of course, posted right there. How about sausage stuffed mushrooms as a Thanksgiving appetizer? The brie and cranberry stuffed bread bowl. You know, I think these kind of things would fill you up. You wouldn't even need that turkey. And that's just fine with me. Man, I had some good stew thanks to Aldersgate and their annual sale, some leftover. And I I had that for supper on Monday evening. Thank you. Delicious stuff. I'm I'm surprised this annual fundraiser even had leftover stew. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Delicious stuff. But uh, I don't think that stew is on this menu of uh, items coming in from foodnetwork.com. So other delicious entrees or should I say appetizers, that you can enjoy for Thanksgiving from foodnetwork.com's article. Maple, walnut, and bacon brie bites. Yummy, yummy. Bacon-wrapped Brussels sprouts with creamy lemon dip. How about a spinach almond crostani? Sounds delish. Fried olives as a Thanksgiving appetizer you should consider in this 83 appetizing appetizers from Food Network on Thanksgiving. How about... Dump spinach and artichoke dip from from Frozen is one of the options. Brussels sprouts in a blanket. Instead of pig in a blanket, Brussels sprouts in a blanket as a Thanksgiving appetizer. Another one of the 83 options, roasted potato leek soup. Deviled eggs. Yummy, yummy. 
Now, as a good Southerner, you know a deviled egg would be delicious on Thanksgiving Day, just like it is the other 364 days of the year. Onion dip from scratch is one of the foodnetwork.com articles, this article on Thanksgiving appetizers that you should consider for Turkey Day. How about hot spinach and artichoke dip as a Thanksgiving appetizer? We told you a moment ago about a in-a-blanket option. How about figs in a blanket? Fruit and cheese make the perfect pre-dinner duo, and there you have it, figs in a blanket. Stuffed mushrooms, baked brie, cream of wild mushroom soup is a Thanksgiving appetizer from this foodnetwork.com article. How about caramelized onion and bacon pull-apart bread. Woo! Now that would fill you up right there. That's a good option. Roasted butternut squash soup. Holiday bacon appetizers is another one of the 83 Thanksgiving appetizers to consider. Italian cheese ball is a delicious option. How about a white bean pomegranate crostani? The barefoot contessas rosemary roasted cashews. And we also have cream corn dip as one of the options. Lots and lots of choices. Again, 83 of them. If you go to this foodnetwork.com article, 83 Thanksgiving appetizers that are sure to impress. I think you'll have a great time. And all of these have the appropriate recipes linked to them. And you will be set up for Thanksgiving. And not only will be a, a discussion after it's all said and done and after you get your Thanksgiving night nap or afternoon nap, whatever the case may be, people will say, now, your turkey and dressing were good, but boy, those appetizers you had were something that I'll never forget. Now, that is quite the Thanksgiving compliment. We'll have our last show of the week coming to you on Wednesday. We're going to have a couple of special guests. Paul Hare will be on our Wednesday show talking finance and We'll have Kiefer Ingalls back to talk a little college football on our Wednesday finale show. So until then, have a great rest of your day, and thanks for listening to the Y'all Show.